Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And we're trying to, to walk through the Bible. It's not comprehensive, but we're getting enough uh, solid scripture and understanding that we can recognize that we're in a covenant with God because of Jesus Christ. And we want to understand what does that mean? Well, the premise that the, the Bible starts us off on, and we kind of picked up on it and found it to be relevant, is that there's a lot of Christians who accepted Jesus as their Savior, and they know they're going to heaven, and praise the Lord, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. However, many of those same Christians have no confidence in the integrity of God's Word. Let me, let me, let me take it a step further. No confidence in the faithfulness of God to do what He promised in His Word. So they'll read the promises as an inspiration. They'll you know, write them on the bottom of a card to send to somebody else. But really, when the rubber gets down where the road is, they're really not expecting God to actually do that. It's just some, some kind of a religious inspiration. And, uh, and so we, we've been recognizing, boy, God was passionate that we don't live in that state. That from time to time, you know, things may challenge us and may, you know, tempt us to, to not embrace that, the, the reality of God's word and his faithfulness. But God went out of his way, we find out in many passages, but Hebrews chapter 6, God went out of his way to prove to you and I beyond any shadow of a doubt that he was telling the truth, and God chose to do it this way. It said that he took an oath. Now, he set it up in the context of Hebrews 6. He said, what, what I mean is, I signed a contract. Because you and I get that, right? And he, he set that up. We understand when people are saying nice things, and hey, I'm with you, whatever I can do to help, and, and even making promises. But it's a whole nother level when they sign their name on a contract. Things got real. And God understood that. And so God said, I was so passionate about you recognizing I'm not going to change my mind. I'm a promise keeper. I'm not a promise breaker. I, didn't, I wasn't just throwing around flowery words. When I made the promises in the word of God, I made it fully intending on you leaning in and say, hey, uh, I, I need to talk to you about that promise because I really need that. And I fully intend to keep that promise. And so, so much so that Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 tells us that as we begin to recognize that the Bible is not just a love letter, it's a legal document. And we can go to the Lord and we can say, look, this is what your word says. And God will enthusiastically honor that because he's the one who wrote the covenant because he wants you to be convinced so that you'll come to him because he wants to do what he promised he would do. And so the Bible says that God will do that. And when we understand that, it becomes an anchor to our soul. I don't care what winds are blowing in your life, what storm you're going through, what's going on in this crazy, chaotic world. The Bible says that you and I as believers should live solid, should be 100% confident in the things of God. And we do that by understanding what a covenant is. If, you, if you've missed any of these, go back and get the podcast, go online on YouTube and get the video and uh, there's supplements and, and then you got the workbooks and plenty of, of, of reasons uh, or of opportunities for you to study because I'm telling you, this is life changing and this is relevant to where we're at. It, it, it's we're relevant. I, a lot of Christians asking me, you know, talk to me about the end times. Don't get me wrong. We should. That, that's a good thing to know. But let me tell you what I would rather, rather than knowing what's coming, I'd rather be prepared for anything that comes. 
And that's what this is going to do for you. It doesn't matter what comes, the covenant will hold. The word of God is true. And that's what we're understanding. How do we step in and we begin to live that way? Well, I'm going to go back to that idea in Hebrews 6.19 that talks about if we understand the covenant and we learn to lean in, then it creates an anchor to our soul. Because the word of God talks a lot about this anchored soul or a heart that is fixed, that's confidence, that's unshakable, immovable, trusting in God. It talks a lot about that and uses a lot of different descriptions. But one of the ones that we can glean kind of combines itself from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we're going to talk today about what it means to have a new and a true heart. And you're going to see these are actual things that the Bible promises us. And this is what God has done. And as we begin to understand what a new and a true heart is, it helps us to begin to to start walking, taking steps into being confident and into living out in the new covenant. And and here's how, not all the teachings work out like this, but here's how you can track, because some people are like, you know, where, where are we at in this teaching? Are we going to turn a corner? And listen, we're going to look at this today in three sets of three. So we won't get to any of the three sets until we get to Hebrews chapter 10, but it won't take us very long to get there. Once we get to Hebrews chapter 10, you'll know where we're at in the teaching because we're going to talk about three attributes that come with the new heart that God gives you and I as believers. It's like, it's just wired. This is how this brand new spiritual muscle, this is how it works. And for us to begin to understand that and lean in with confidence to those new attributes, it gives us an internal strength that lets us do the next three right there in the passage. And that's to begin to exercise three disciplines, three things that we can do to step in faith, three disciplines we can do. And as we do that, it galvanizes our heart and it opens up the opportunity for God to do what he promised he would do. And then you'll know we're at the very end of the teaching, like minutes away when we talk about three practical overviews, just to kind of give you something to walk away with and uh, put in your pocket so you can start uh, putting this to work right away. All right, so we're gonna go to Jeremiah 31, but before we get there, let me kind of do what Hebrews chapter six did, and let me get your mind thinking right, because Hebrews chapter six, just before it, it gets to this unveiling that God signed a contract, it helps you and I to think in contract terms. It helps you and I to realize that we're all about contracts. And so I want to put us in the right mindset. So as we study, we can quickly assimilate some things and connect some dots. And so here's what I want you to think about today. Anybody who's ever entered any kind of contract knows something. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big, huge contract or it's a kind of a, just a little one. Anybody knows that that's kind of a weighty thing. You know, somebody says, well, sign right here. You don't start signing your name until you know, or at least you feel like you know what you're signing. Well, the reason that is for that is because once you sign a contract, contracts automatically change everything. Contracts automatically change the way you think. They change the way you talk. They change the way you process. They change the way you live your life. All because you, you were not in a contract before. Now you are in a contract and it comes with parameters. It comes with promises and it automatically changes the way that you, that everything. So let me give you a couple of convenient examples. Marriage is a contract. 
And I'm not talking about just because you signed a little marriage certificate, talking about because you've made big, big, deep, heartfelt decisions that brought you to stand in front of somebody who officiates a wedding and you make a verbal contract, which is then reflected in a signature contract that's on file, you know, somewhere with wherever, whatever state that you were, you were married in. But it's a contract. And listen, if you've been married or you are married, you understand the moment you get married, everything changes. Everything. I mean, you think differently. You talk differently. It's no more about, well, what do I want to do on a Friday? Now it's what are we going to do? Now listen, it didn't just start in, in, in this relationship uh, contract. It didn't start with marriage. It probably started deep into the dating and then on through the engagement. But things got really real when you got married. And everybody who's married finds out it's a wonderful blessing of God that's really, really challenging. Everything in your whole life changes. I mean, you, you get to fight about things like how do you squeeze the toothpaper, the toothpaste from the middle or from the bottom? Does the toilet paper roll off the top or roll underneath? I mean, these are major, major life shifts and adjustments. And they become major, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? How come you're doing it that way? I didn't know you did it that way. And well, because we only dated, but now we're living together. The contract changes everything. Let me take you to another one. That's kind of in that same, we're building a life together. Uh, when you go from renting to purchasing, and when someone goes from renting to purchasing, they're like, oh, I can't believe, you know, now we have the freedom to do whatever we want until it dawns on them that you get to pay for whatever you want, plus whatever you don't want to pay for. You're maintaining that property. Something breaks down. Oh yeah, that's you. Something needs to be upgraded. Oh yeah, that's you. Something needs, needs to be adjusted, you know, to, to fit a different season or whatever. Oh yeah, that's you. And you begin to realize that owning a house is not all just wonderful butterflies and, you know, sunshine. Owning a house is a big responsibility. And so you used to have these great discussions when you were renting. You know, it'd be really cool if this was our house. We'd paint this and we'd take that wall down and we'd, and you're in, you're, you're in the same situation only now it is your house. And you're like, you know, it'd be really cool? Yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> That's way too expensive. That's way too hard because contracts change things. Now, there's so many areas we could go into and you'd all be smiling and like nodding your head. Yep, totally get that. We can talk about health insurance. We can talk about homeowners insurance. talk about auto insurance. We can talk about just the insurance and the apps and the service providers on our little smart gadgets. I mean, it's just crazy how many contracts we're in. But one thing's common. The moment you sign a contract, everything changes. You're limited in some respects, but you're also covered and you're benefited in other respects. And this is true. Everybody knows this, except for Christians. I don't know what it is about Christians. I mean, and, I, and I'm speaking with myself included because I was one of these Christians. But for some reason, Christians enter into this New Testament covenant that we have the greatest promises guaranteed from a living God signed in the blood of Jesus. And that should change everything. It should change the way we think and the way we talk and the way we process and the decisions we make. And, and, and yet for many, many Christians, other than just a couple of minor adjustments, well, I don't want to do the bad things and I want to start doing more of the good things. It really doesn't change a lot. And I'm talking about really well-meaning, you know, passionate Christians who love Jesus, who show up on Sunday mornings and who, you know, tears streaming down their face, hands extended, worshiping the Lord authentically. I'm not criticizing that at all, but it's never dawned on them 
that they're in a divine contract that leaves the building with them. And when they go back into what they would call the real world, this contract is still in effect. In fact, some would argue effectively that that's when the contract really holds weight is when you're out there and you need it, not when you're in, you know, the sweet spot of other Christians and you got the kumbaya moment and everything's just warm and fuzzy. Listen, we need it out there where the rubber meets the road and life's pressure and the intensity hits us and we're desperate. We need a contract and we have one. But let me give you a few examples just to kind of, you know, get your mind going where, where, where mine is. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37 uh, and, and 39, we could include 38, but I'm trying to, you know, carve it down a little bit. But prior to that, he's describing all of these crazy things that happen in life. We could look at that list and say, man, most of those are going on right now at the same time, and they're picking up intensity. But he talks about all these crazy challenges that threaten our goals and threaten our existence and threaten our livelihood and threaten our relationships. And and yet in verse 37, Romans 8, he says, but in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Skipping to verse 39, he keeps listing and he says, and absolutely nothing will ever be able to separate us from the covenant love of God who's in Christ Jesus. By the way, as I was uh, in my office in between services, getting ready to come out over the second service, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to add a scripture here. So this one's new, but it's for somebody. Maybe it's a few, it's a few people, but it's for somebody. And it's in the same line of thinking. Listen to Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. It says, you need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked for the Lord is your security and he will keep your feet from being caught in a trap. Now, those are promises of God. I mean, that's real stuff. That's like our contract and we call, hey, we got an issue over here. Are we covered? You're covered. 100%. No deductible. You're covered. And we're like, ooh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. This is a real contract. And yet, Christians who will read this, who will put it on their mirror, who will send it to other people, who will nod affirmingly, yes, they'll turn around and we get on to, into life's challenges and they feel like they're all by themselves. God's not even listening to me. What are you talking about? He signed a contract. Of course, he, he went first. He anticipated what you'd be going through and he made promises so that you'd know right where to go to say, okay, here's what's going on. There it is. That's the benefit. And here's all of the application, applicable promises that goes with that benefit. This is all real life stuff. Let me give you another example. First Peter 2.24 says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that you and I having died to our sins because we're in a relationship with Christ, we made him our savior, we might live for, other translations say, as representatives of righteousness. And it goes on to let us know that's in every area included by whose stripes you were already healed. That's not the first time it does this. Over and over in the Bible, Isaiah 53 puts the, the, the salvation, the forgiveness of sin in the same breath, no grammatical adjustments, no pause, no moving to the next subject, in the same breath as healing. God doesn't just want to heal your broken and your bruised and your unsaved heart. He wants to heal you in every area. And that was part of the equation. Psalm 103, who forgives all of my sin and heals all of my diseases. And so you can disconnect that if you want, but there's a lot of Christians that they, they say, hey, no, Jesus is the great physician. Yeah, Jesus can heal anything. No question there. But they struggle with the confidence that he will heal them. And so because of that, they're afraid. 
Because of that, they, they, don't, they don't know how to process things that look like they're heading in a really bad direction when they have a covenant. Let me just give you one more, not that we haven't already made our point. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it, Paul's talking to the church and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I can't help but read that with a pause, without a pause. Because there's a pause there. It feels like to me when he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, you already know this, right? This is not new information. You know this, but just in case he keeps going, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. And in case you're trying to over-spiritualize that, go back and read your Bible. This is one of the clearest contexts in the New Testament. He happens to be talking in chapter 8 and chapter 9 about resource, about money. And so God's conscious of this. Philippians 4.19. He'll meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. These are not just left over. Well, one day when we get to heaven, yes. But here, starting here right now, these are the contracts that the Bible talks about. Now, we could continue to go through this, but my point is, we have Christians that are very savvy in terms of their contracts in the natural very, very watchful, man, that they don't, they don't miss any benefits. We paid for those. We need to get that benefit. And they're watching them, and they should be. That's good stewardship. But many times those same Christians turn around, and when they see the divine contract that was sealed in the blood of Jesus, they never even bother to call and tap into a benefit. You say, well, why is that true? Why? I mean, these are intelligent people. These are authentic people. These are people that, you know, really do love the Lord. How come it seems like they won't tap in? Well, there's a couple of, of, of factors I can identify. I'm not saying they're the only, but the main two factors seems to be this, that many of them uh, kind of ignorantly, pardon me for using a harsh word, the Bible does, but pardon me for that, ignorantly or religiously, they take all these benefits in the Bible and push them to heaven. When we get to heaven, all this is going to be true. And that's, a, that's true, by the way, but it's a pretty weak argument because many of the benefits that, that we have in the Bible, we won't need them when we get to heaven. There's no disease in heaven. So we don't, need, we don't need promises like, I'll keep all disease from you. We don't need that promise. There's not any in heaven. Like, they just don't exist. And we could go on and on and on, but lots of Christians do that. And so it doesn't even occur to them that this is actually a benefit that Jesus purchased with his blood that I desperately need. Maybe I should pick up the spiritual phone and call heaven and say, hey, um, I really need this. In which case we would hear the Holy Spirit respond. I'm so glad you called because it belongs to you. I've been waiting, hoping you would call. And so that's one reason. But here, here's, I think, the, the bigger reason, at least for people that probably run in, in our circles. And that is that Christians understand this. They just don't know how to accept. They don't know how to access this new covenant. They get it. God's telling the truth. Those promises belong to me. Now what? It's like they don't, they don't know the contact information. They don't need the phone number. They don't know how to, how to process this. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you do when you begin to recognize that the contract's real? It's relevant. Like right now, today, God should be moving in my life. And there should be things that are happening that I couldn't get it past there, but God took it the rest of the way. This should be happening. because This is normal for Christians. Read the book of Acts. It's normal. And so we, sh we should be able to enjoy that, but sometimes we get all stopped up and we just don't know what to do. And so today we're going to talk about 
what was, what was the importance of God giving a new heart, a true heart to his people so that we would have the inner strength and the ability to step in and actually follow through with the contract so the benefits could be unlocked and we could begin to receive those. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now I ask you to turn to Jeremiah 31. This is one of the times, not the only time, but one of the times that God mentions this new heart and he connects it to the new covenant or the new contract. One of the times God promises it in the old contract, God looks forward and says, hey, we're in this old contract now, but the day's coming that this old contract will expire and I'm going to create a whole new contract. And he tells us what we get to receive in that contract because we're in the New Testament. That's the new, the new covenant, new contract. Jeremiah 31, listen to verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. So the Lord's talking here. When I will make a new covenant, same word as contract, or at least we're connecting like Hebrews 6 did, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Little Bible lesson for those of you that don't know. Uh, these are really the same group, but they got into a big squabble in the Old Testament and they split for like <laughs> hundreds of years. They were, all, they were split into two different groups and now they're back as one group again in Israel. And so uh, God says, he's talking to both groups, even though it's only one group. Verse 32 I'm not going to give you this new covenant, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. That's looking back at the old, the old contract. In the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33, but... This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Notice they're joined together again after those days. So when this contract expires, I'm going to make a new contract or a new covenant with them, says the Lord. And these are some of the identifying marks. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34, no more shall every man have to teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for or because I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So what he's saying is in, in the old covenant, things were written down on an external you know, tablet or a papyrus or some, some, some writing thing, and you had to go to a priest who would read them for you and teach it to you, then you would turn around and teach it to somebody else and you're trying to live all this stuff. But in the new covenant, God speaks to us directly. We're holding the document directly. So the relationship comes close. It's no more, you know, have all these mediators in the middle. The relationship comes close. And so uh, we, we recommended a supplement book uh, called God's Words to Keep His Promises. Again, if you haven't purchased the book, I would recommend, if you enjoy reading, I would recommend it's an easy read, but it's one of the best books I've read on, uh, on the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, on the Blood Covenant. But Pastor Jerry in that book in page 101, he makes some comments about this Jeremiah 31 passage. And I won't read you the whole thing, but in essence, this is what he says. In the Old Covenant, God's laws or the terms of the covenant were kind of an external checklist. It was based on your behavior, on your obedience. If you do these things, then God will do these things. And that's what actually qualified you for it. And so he said in the old covenant, God's laws or the terms of the covenant were external. And even though they were pure and true, they were unattainable because of the sinfulness of the human heart. Just couldn't pull it off. 
So it's right there is clear. If you can check all these boxes, then God's going to do some wonderful stuff. Here's the problem. I try over and over. I can't get all the boxes checked. I just can't. By the way, in our immaturity, even though we're born again, we get that because we still live there. Maybe you're different, but it's, it's very rare that I can get through an entire week, uh, let me be honest, through a few days, okay, let me be really honest, through a whole day, without having these moments like, oh, I shouldn't have thought that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I should have done this. I, I told the Lord I was going to do it from now on, I, ah, but I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, that's what you said the day before yesterday and the day before that, and so you're procrastinating. And listen, it's just our immaturity and our weakness. At, at minimum, it could be just a sinful part of our life. We haven't confessed over. The point is, we can't check enough boxes consistently enough to get this. That's the old covenant. But in the new covenant, God's going to give us a brand new heart. That sinful heart, God's going to give us a brand new heart, and he's going to write this covenant, this relational connectedness and closeness into our heart, and he's going to give us the ability from the inside to the outside to actually engage and walk out and live in a covenant relationship with him. And when, when that happens, we're going to experience not because he did something from the outside, we're going to experience from the inside out how much God really does love us. And how faithful God really is. We'll, we'll know that by conviction on the inside. Nobody will have to teach us. We'll just know it. Sometimes we know it before we even understand it. And we have a hard time articulating it. I don't know. I just, I just know that's true. Well, the Bible says, yeah, but how do you know? I, I just know. I know that I know that I know. I don't know how I know. I just know. And that's part of a new heart. And so he promised us in Jeremiah, when we get to the new covenant, the new Testament, that we're going to experience something they couldn't experience in the old covenant because of what Jesus did. Now we get a brand new heart. It's a spiritual muscle that's stronger and pumps cleaner and, ha- and holds, contains more, more oxygen, you know, pu- pushes more spiritual things out than they could do in the old covenant. We get that new heart. Now, that's kind of the promise set up in, in the Old Testament. Not the only passage, but, but certainly a great one. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 now. And this is where we're going to start those three lists. Because in Hebrews 10, he's picking up on this idea of a new heart. But Paul, or I'm sorry, the author of Hebrews is going to call it a true heart. And you'll see why the two are connected. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. So, the author of Hebrews writing, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, stop. He's talking to Christians and he's saying, you know, that confidence that you want to, you know, kind of get, you know, get cemented in your heart so you can feel confident and secure. Yeah. Let's be really clear. You already have it. You don't feel it all the time, but all of everything's already put in place. You already have this. You just haven't realized it and stepped into it. And he's going to explain, listen, We already have this confidence to enter the holy places. Here's the first reason, by the blood of Jesus. He sealed the covenant. He signed the contract. Here's the next reason, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. In other words, when he died, the old contract was nullified and the brand new way, the brand new opportunity for us to live in a relationship with God was introduced. A curtain was pulled back and we're no longer separated from God. Now we walk right into God's presence. That was provided by Jesus. It goes on in verse 21. And since we have a great 
great priest over the house of God. We've already studied that. Jesus is now the mediator to make sure that everything he provided is at our disposal and that we're not letting the enemy talk us out of this. And it goes on in verse 22 and says, because of all that, let us draw near with a true heart. And the word true is really important because uh, in the Greek language, it has a much deeper meaning that will help us to understand. The word true is the Greek word alethenos, and it literally means not something that just has a title or a label slapped on it. It's not talking about, well, that's what we call it. You know, you're a new creation. You're a new heart. It's not talking about just something we've titled it so we know how to refer to it. It's talking about something that is indisputably genuine. Something that is authentic in every respect, from the inside to the outside, from the, from the top to the bottom. This is the real deal. It's called a new, true heart because it is not the physical muscle, but the spiritual part of you. So much so that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, when you are in Christ, all the old stuff, that passed away. And you're a brand new creature. In fact, if you study that, it literally says you're a brand new species. First time in human history that humans were both spiritual beings or spiritually alive beings and all physical beings. First time in human history that, that since Adam, I want to be clear, but first time we're brand new creation, brand new species of being. We're not just human beings, but we have the divine nature of God living in us. You're, you're in a brand new ball game. It's a new contract. And this is what he's saying, that this is authentic. And because, because of that, he says, here's three attributes that your new heart has that you need to understand is different from the old heart. Three strengths that your new heart, the new spiritual muscle has. Here's where they are. We're in Hebrews 10. We're going back to the beginning of 19. Let us draw near with a true heart. And here's the first attribute, in full assurance of faith. That means that your new heart is able to become completely convinced that God's telling the truth and nothing and any, nobody can talk you out of it. It doesn't matter how, how much the evidence piles up to the contrary. It doesn't matter if everybody around you is experiencing something different. You see what God says and you say, nope, I'm believing God. Your new heart can do that. And let me prove it to you. If you're a believer, it's already done that. You believe that Jesus really washed your sins away and you're going to this place called heaven and yet you have no evidence to the contrary. Or no evidence to support that, I should say. In fact, all the evidence is to the contrary. My sins are forgiven, I'm righteous before him. Well, you don't act very righteous. I know. That's the craziness of it, right? Hebrews 10, 14, by one sacrifice, he birthed me into the family and that's who I am now. And yet now I'm growing up and learning to act like who I am. And see, this whole thing, but your heart has the ability to lock into that. And I'm telling you, people can argue with you all day long. That's the most ludicrous thing. You know, heaven's just a construct so that we can feel better about our humanity. And that's crazy. You don't even know anybody who's gone to heaven. Well, yeah, those, some of those people who say they have, but they're crazy. You know, why would they do that? They can argue with you all day. And at the end of it, you're like, are you done? I believe I'm going to heaven. Your, your, your new heart has the ability to grab a truth and lock into it just because God said it. 
Now, whether you're exercising that or not, that's up to you. But your new heart has that ability. Here's the second attribute. It says, with our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. In other words, your new heart has the ability to rest fully in the fact that Jesus' blood was enough. He really did wash me clean. Not only that, he brought me into the family of God and he said, you are righteous even though you don't act righteous yet. You are righteous. You're in right standing with God. Now we're going to grow you and mature you so you start acting like who you really are. Your new heart has the ability to grab hold of that, which here's the, here's the, the crowning benefit. That means you never, ever, ever have to experience condemnation again, ever. Conviction, yes. But not something that's pushing you away from God. Not feeling like you're not good enough because we're not measured about our goodness based on, on our behavior. We're measured based on the fact that we're children of God. He loves us. He's going to stick with us. Even if we're little rascals, well, he'll deal with us. But he's not going to kick us out of the house. He's not gonna, we're, we're not going to feel like, well, you know, gee, dad probably doesn't love me. Of course he loves you. You're still here. He's still providing for you. But he loves you enough to correct you. And so we, we can deal with conviction, but never again condemnation. Look, here's the third one. It says, and our bodies wash with pure water. The term bodies here throughout the New Testament is a reference to our daily life, to kind of our behaviors we're going through, we're doing our thing, and you know, we make mistakes, we do the right thing. But it says that we have our, our daily life is washed, notice this, with pure water. In the New Testament, that's both a reference to the word of God, but also to the, to the moving, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that tells us that the final attribute that this new heart has is we have the ability to listen and to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit as he moves us through the word of God and, and, and matures us. You can do that. Well, I can't hear from God. Yes, you can. Because your heart is set up for that. This new heart is wired to do that. And so if you just lean in and learn what that looks like, well, you, you, can, you, can, you, you can exercise that and your new heart will just perform wonderfully because that's the way God created it. Now, it's important that you see these three things. First of all, you can measure something about yourself. How am I doing there? How am I doing in a full assurance of faith? Do I believe God's word's telling me the truth? Have I embraced that or am I still, you know, kind of acting like there's a spiritual buffet and I like that, I don't believe that, I don't, I don't think that's even relevant anymore. And, or am I saying that God's word is true cover to cover and it's relevant for today because heaven and earth will pass away, the Bible says, but his word will never pass away. This is the word of God. It lives forever. Here's the second thing. How am I doing on condemnation? Do I feel like God loves me? And can I, can I walk into his presence in prayer and in praise and worship? Or am I constantly feeling like God's just tolerating me? Or he's mad at me. See, you're, something's, something's trying to corrupt your new heart. And you need to say, no, 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 wait, I'm not wired that way. My new heart is brand new. And how are you doing in opening and keeping your life open and involved with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? Are you walking through life and letting him wash you, letting him refresh you, letting him hydrate you so you don't get dry and parched and angry and crinkly? And, you know, all those things are, are part of what you can already do. That's the internal strength of a new heart. Now, it's important you at least see that because once you recognize that you can do what the Bible's saying because you've got this brand new spiritual muscle that'll pump the life of God all the way through who you are. Then you can look at the next three that he's going to talk about. These are three disciplines that you get to purposefully engage. And when you do, it brings incredible maturity and it unlocks God's ability to bring the promised blessing to you in every area of your life. So it's pretty succinct. Listen to verse 23, second set of three, by the way. 
Verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for or because, the reason we can do that, because he who promised is faithful. So because you've got this new heart now that has all this internal strength and it just pumps spiritual vitality out, you have the ability to make a decision to engage these three faithful disciplines. Let's walk through them quickly. First of all, it says hold fast. This is the word in the Greek, got echo. And it's not talking about something that casually, you know, just grabs it and kind of takes it along. It's talking about a strong, intentional, dominant force that finds something and just lands on it and wraps its arms around and squeezes it as tight as it can and just says, mine, 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 this is mine. I'm never giving it up. Let me give you an example. Uh, This might have happened to you in Christmases in the past or because of our supply chain shortage, it might happen this Christmas. Uh, but let's just say you've got something in your mind that you want to purchase for somebody and you went to this store, oh, they're out of it. You went to that store, oh, they're out of it. You went to this store, they're out of it. And so goes the day, maybe a few days, you're just missing it, missing it, missing. And someone says, Hey, I was just over there and they still have some, what? You jump in the car, you're straight over there. You run through the aisle, you're moving through people. And there it is the last one on the shelf. And you walk over and you're like, gotcha. I've been looking for you all over the place. And you grab it and you tuck it under your arm pretty firmly. And you're walking to the register. You're saying, I got you. I got you. I got you. That's caught echo. And the Bible says that's how we're supposed to be. Notice this with the confession of our hope. And we're not going to study the word hope. We've done that plenty of times here. But just, just as a quick refresher, the word hope is the Greek word LPs. And it's not like the way we use hope. Like, well, I hope so. The Greek word hope, LPs, as it's used in the New Testament, is an expectation. When God says, I promise you I'll do something, it creates an expectation for you. Oh, I would have never thought that was possible, but if God says he can do it, wow, you've got a picture up in front of you that says, okay then, all right, I'm back in the game. That's an expectation, and the Bible says that we're supposed to hold fast, to grab and pull it close to our chest, the confession of our hope. The word confession is the Greek word hamalagia, and it's a phenomenal word because it doesn't just mean to repeat something that someone else said, although that's its baseline. But hamalagi goes even deeper, and it means to repeat something that someone said in the way that they said it, with the same heart, with the same passion, with the same focus, with all the same feelings and emotion. You're just repeating it the same, not just what they said, but the way they said it. And listen, and you're repeating it as if you're the one who said it. Let me give you kind of an embarrassingly funny example, okay? Some of you, don't raise your hands, but some of you have heard a song on the radio at times and it so moves your heart that you grab the closest hairbrush or you're in the bathroom with your shampoo bottle and the music's playing and you're not just singing the song, you're singing the song with the same emotion and the same heart and the same feeling and tears come to your eyes or you get a bowl, you know, you're, you're singing it the same way. That's homologia. You've owned that and now you've created it. Now this is your song in that moment. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do with the word of God. Now listen to me, let's go back because Hebrews 10.23 says we're supposed to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for or because he who promised is faithful. Now in reality, we have Christians today, many of them, I might even venture to say most of them who are reading this totally different, they're reading it as saying not hold fast to the confession of hope, but hold back the confession of hope. 
Because honestly, you never know if God's really going to do this or not. And so they read a promise, and they're not about to say anything. They're not even sure if they'll whisper it to God. They'll just say, God, well, if you really want to do this, then you know, okay, here I am. And, and that's not, that's like, that's like your insurance company saying, this is your benefit and you have a need for that benefit. And you say, well, but if the insurance company wants to do it for me, they'll call me. That's just crazy. And yet God set this down. God says, listen, I'm not going to dump all this stuff on you. It's a relational exchange. You don't have to earn it. You certainly didn't deserve it, but I paid for it and gave it. It's available. What you do have to do is you do have to come and say, Lord, I believe that I'm caught echoing that. I'm pulling it in and I'm declaring with the same confidence and the same emotion you, that you said you were going to do it. I'm declaring, yep, I need that. I'm putting my trust in you to do it. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. And when you do that, the exchange begins. If you don't do that, then God may out of his mercy do something for you to rescue you. But listen to me, the contract has not been activated because you're not holding fast to the hamalagia and bringing that back. Notice this last thing. Here's the third one. He says that we hold fast. Uh, we got echo hamalagia. We hold fast to, to this word, not just what God promised, but the way he said it, the passion. No, I know God's telling the truth. We hold fast to that. And notice this, we do it without wavering. This is the last really important thing. It's the Greek word aklinis. And it literally describes something that refuses to bend. Something that no matter what pressure is put on it, it is fixed and immovable, it is stable, and it will endure any intensity, any, any pressure. Nothing can shake it, nothing can move it. That's this phrase in one Greek word, without wavering. It means once you latch on to something that the Lord has promised you, and you begin to get it in your heart and allow it to transform your mind and to convince you from the inside out because this new heart can believe God's word without any evidence. Once you begin to allow your heart to shift, something really will happen on the inside and you'll begin to gain a confidence. You know what? God is telling the truth and nobody can talk me out of it now. I don't care. You came too late because it's all rooted in my heart now, and I'm just going to believe God. And by the way, I'm going to keep believing God until it happens. How long is that? Long as it takes. And see, we, we read our Bibles kind of funny, right? Because we read about these heroes of faith. Oh, I want to be like that guy. Yeah, well, that guy believed for a promise for three decades. You okay with that? Because for most of us, three hours, is, we're already being tested, right? Three days, <laughs> forget that. Three weeks, that's insane, there are some people that just grabbed the promise of God and pulled it in and refused to let go and for the rest of their life. In fact, if you read Hebrews chapter 11 honestly, and we'll touch on it next week, part of what God's looking for when he returns is someone who's holding a promise and refuses to budge even if it didn't happen yet. Doesn't matter. My trust is in the Lord. My confidence is that he's telling me the truth and he paid too much. It was too, too much work. It was too expensive for him to go to all this trouble for me to just kind of play with the word. Well, we'll see if it happens. No, no, I'm putting all of my eggs, all of my marbles, all of my trust in God that he's telling me the truth. And I will stand there even if the whole world comes to an end and it didn't happen for me. That's okay. I was faithful. I trusted God because he said it. It's true. Now, this is what makes the Christians a different species. This is what makes believers have the opportunity to lock into something that even if, you know, around the world, throughout history, they've gone into martyrdom. 
They'll take your head off. They'll boil you in oil. They'll peel your skin off. And you're standing there saying, I still won't deny Christ. Nope, I believe Jesus is Lord. Nope, nope, God's able to, to, to take care of me. Nope, God will deliver me. And you're like, what are you talking about? This, this is what gives us that kind of fortitude. It's a real thing. And the Bible's trying to help us to understand this. All right, let me give you one more quick principle that's in the next two verses. It won't take but a moment. And then we're gonna get to those three practicals and we're done. So for those of you that are tracking, we're close. Stay with me here, okay? All right, so now we're at the, the final thing. We've understood three attributes. We've understood three disciplines that, that we can impose finding a promises of God and saying, well, if God said it, it's true. We lock onto that. We pull it in and we begin to let it move in our heart to convince us to the point that we're saying what God said, the way he said it. And now it's become our truth, our word. Nope, this is what I believe because God said that. And then we do that as long as it takes until God does what he promised. That's the disciplines that we can do that are life transforming life transforming. I'm, I'm telling you, when you do these things, God will begin to move in our lives. This is what we saw in the, in the New Testament. This is what we see all the way through uh, the, or the, the epistles, all the way through when people locked in and believed and trusted God and would not, not budge, God did what he promised he would do. Hey, you, don't, you don't always have to wait a long time. Some, every once in a while, it's instantaneous. But see, that's kind of our measuring stick, right? If it's not instantaneous, well, I guess he's not going to do it. Most of the time, if you're reading the New Testament, it's not instantaneous. That's not to squelch you from believing God for a miracle on the spot. We should stretch our, our faith to that. But I'm telling you, if we'll trust the Lord, the Bible says that God is always faithful. Now, here's the final component that we often overlook. Because once we kind of get this new heart and we're like, okay, you know, we believe God's word is true. No more condemnation. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit. Then we're like, we got it. It's me and you, God. Now I can hold fast to the promise of God and, and I can make sure that I'm saying it like you said it and I'll do it for as long as it takes, but it's still me and you, God. And we think, okay, now we've got it. It's me and God. And all of a sudden the author of Hebrews says, wait, hold on. There's one more thing. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen carefully. As you're recognizing this brand new spiritual muscle that has these great attributes and you're using it to exercise these disciplines to grab onto a promise of God and build confidence and hang on for, you know, until God does what he says, then there's this recognition that, that he wants to point out that says, by the way, you don't do this by yourself. You need other people. In fact, not only do you need to be stirred by other people, you need other people that, listen, not just other Christians, and I'm not trying to be exclusive here, but you need other Christians who are new, true heart Christians. In fact, Paul talks later on in, in the book of, I believe it's 2 Timothy, it might be 1 Timothy, but he says that when we get into the last days, there's going to be people that have an appearance of godliness but they don't, they don't take this word of God, God doing what he said he would do. They don't take that serious. He said, run away from those people. They will, they will not help your Christianity. But you find other people that are new, true heart believers, not perfect, 
but holding fast to the word of God, he says, you need those people. They need to be stirring you up. So when you're kind of wrestling this thing through and they say, don't give up, don't give up. I've been there before. I'm telling you, hold on. God will do what he promised he would do. Let's pray together. Let's believe God together. We need all of that. But even if you think, no, I got this. I don't. Listen, part of your developing this new true heart is you need to stir other people. You say, well, Pastor God, I, I can believe God all, my, all by myself. Yeah, but you can't stir up other people all by yourself. You have to be connected to the body of Christ because part of your growth is not just receiving. Part of your growth is receiving and growing and then turn around and giving. That's the life cycle. If we just sit and eat, 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 or you know, uh, inhale, 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 inhale oxygen, and we never exhale, and we never burn off any energy, we're going to get super unhealthy. But the whole system is designed that we intake and then we outtake. We intake and we outtake. We inhale and we exhale. And that's this whole stirring up one another. You're being stirred. You're stirring somebody else. And I want you to notice this. It says, and pay attention all the more as you see the last days coming. Listen to me. This is not by accident that Christianity is on a drift across the United States, maybe across the globe. I'm just more attuned to what's happening in the United States. And it's not just a COVID issue. It's accelerated during COVID. But prior to COVID, uh, statistics were watching that Christianity was slipping and core traditional Christians were, were at a new norm. And it was kind of, you know, good enough for them if they were in church at least twice a month. And I'm like, is anybody else paying attention to the drift going the wrong direction? Because Paul was pretty clear. When we see the last days approaching, we need to be heading the other way. Not that we can never miss a service. That's legalistic. But we need to make sure it's a priority to keep the Sabbath a holy thing. And to be engaging with other new true heart believers. That's what's going to help us to grow strong and confident and be anchored where we need to be. No matter what's going on in the world. And the Bible says this over and over. But this is one of the clearest portions. It says when we get in the last days, don't give in to the drift. But I'm telling you, Christians all over the United States are giving in. And I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor and I'm trying to get, you know, everybody back after COVID. I'm saying this because we're in some pretty weighty times and the Bible's pretty clear. If we'll do what the Bible says, God will come through. If we don't do what the Bible says, listen, this is not a multiple choice. This is not a, well, you know, this, but not that. And a little bit of half of this over here. That's not how it works. We got to lean into the Lord. All right, here's my three practicals. And this is going to take me uh, maybe three minutes. So some of you that like to keep a watch, you can time me on this. Three practical steps. This is an overview of the whole lesson. If you want to learn to live with a new and a true heart, the first thing you have to do is to accept God's word as the authoritative truth. You just got to come to grips with that. I did it when I was back, you know, first rededicating my life to the Lord. I was in my early 20s and I had someone who coached me and I did it just in one big shot. You know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through every situation. Well, is God telling the truth this time? Well, is he telling the truth this time? It's like, nope. He said that his word was true cover to cover. Okay, I'm, I'm in. So whenever I came to a new situation, I didn't need to decide, is God telling the truth? I just need to know what did he say? Before you even tell me what he said, it's true. Now, tell me what he said. Okay, that's truth. And so the first thing we need to do, we may need to make a decision that God's word is the authoritative truth. By the way, being challenged severely, even inside of the church. Doesn't matter. 
heaven and earth will pass away. The word of God will stand the same. Here's number two. You've got to vocalize your agreement with God by declaring his truth as your own. My recommendation is you do that personally and in your prayer time before you go public. Because I'm just telling you, the moment you go public, even with other Christians, you're getting a lot of other opinions, a lot of criticism, a lot of challenges. Well, that's kind of fanatical. Are you sure God really said that? Listen, do what Mary did, the mother of God, when Gabriel came to her and said, this is what's going to happen. The Bible says she pondered all of these things in her heart. She didn't talk to anybody about them, not for a while. Very, very selective. And listen to me, when God's speaking some things to you, I know there are things that I have believed God for, some I'm still believing God for, that when, when the seed of God's word first gets planted, it's so fragile. I feel like I can barely whisper it out loud. Or the enemy begins to challenge it. My own mind begins to rush and challenge it. Listen to me, take God's word and, and vocalize your agreement, but make that very personal. Go to the Lord in prayer. By the way, did you know James chapter four uh, has a passage that talks about why our prayers aren't answered? And sometimes our prayers aren't answered because our motives are wrong. And don't get discouraged there because that's part of the process. The Holy Spirit will come and fix your motive so that God can answer your prayer. But sometimes it's our motive, but, but it starts out and says, we don't get our prayers answered because we don't ask. Again, you got a benefit sitting right there, but you don't walk to the throne of God and kind of say, hey, I'm here to collect my benefit because I had this need. And you just kind of sit back and assume God won't do it or say, well, if he does want to do it, he can do it. He knows where my address is. He knows where it's at. And the Bible says we have not because we just didn't ask. And that's just a shame. I don't mean like con a condemnation. That's just sad. We've got these wonderful benefits and we're under such pressure and we have so much need and we don't even ask. And so listen, we begin to vocalize our agreement with God and we declare his truth our zone. Here's the last one that we have to engage regularly in study and in conversation. And I could add in prayer, in agreement, in encouragement, in fellowship, in the laying on of hands. All of these are biblical realities of how God transfers blessing and strength to our lives. And we need to make it a point to engage regularly with other new true heart believers. If you're too busy to do this, you're too busy. I, I get it, right? I'm a pastor. You think I'm at church on Sundays always because I'm so excited and I want to be. Most of the time, but there are those Sundays just like you that I wake up and I say, it sure would be good just to stay in bed. But the Sabbath day is a holy day. And the people of God are here because I need to encourage them. And by the way, I need to receive encouragement from them. And this is how we do it as we grow. So I'm going to leave you with this question and then I'm going to stand you up and pray. <clears throat> what promises are you believing God for right now? Got anything in the, in the pipes? Anything you're talking to God about? Or is you just kind of struggling with your emotions through the day? Have you taken time to go to Psalm 103 and look at those list of five different benefits and see, boy, that one right there, that's exactly what I need. Have you opened that little God's promise supplement that we offer to you and looked at all the other scriptures? Are you doing any of that? And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying it to challenge you and to encourage you. You're covenant people of God. These promises are there for you. Jesus paid an expensive price for them to just stay on the table till we get to heaven. No, he paid so you could experience them and enjoy them and be a witness to the rest of the world. Jesus is real. He's alive. He does supernatural things today for ordinary people just like he did in the New Testament times. And God wants to bless your life. You've been blessed by God's word this morning. 
again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.